How is everyone? Good. It's good to see you all. This is weird for me, I'm not going to lie. Um, I've never been in an adult Sunday school because I've been doing the youth for, for so long. So this is great, but it's, it's weird. I'll, I'll, it, it'll take some getting used to for me. Um, so let's start with prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord, we are so grateful to be here this morning. Thank you for another day. Thank you for your mercies being new this morning. And that'll be true every day thereafter. I pray that you remove any distractions this morning, uh, not only from teaching in Sunday school here, but for the sermon as we receive your word. Um, Help us grow in knowledge and wisdom of your word, Lord, the application of your word, not just listening so we can apply that to our lives and encourage others to do so as well. Give us the strength to do so by way of your spirit, and we pray this in your son's name, amen. So last week, y'all learned about the introduction to unity, and Robert went over what it is to have a superficial unity, um, one that doesn't start with Christ. So that's if you find unity in um, having in your job or a sports team, or you know, you can fill in the blank. But then, because you're believers, you find that's kind of like a plus, right? So we want to have it the other way around. And so <clears throat> this week, uh, it's on membership, and it's the glory of God in the local church, which is another great topic. And so I'd like to begin with a question: Is how is the commitment we make to other people at church different? than other commitments we make in life, right? So what's the difference? So again, last week we started by considering the glory of God, the glory of the church, and our church is made up of people who are limited, limited in many number of things, which is knowledge, love, um, patience, and we have different personalities and different hopes and backgrounds, um, different ways of communicating and different priorities. But so, and then, and then on top of all that, we're all sinners. So if you think about it from a worldly perspective, it seems like it'd be a bit of trouble going on there, right? But because of the power of the gospel, in fact, you get a corporate proclamation of God's glory, which is beautiful. And that's what, that's what we're talking about this morning in, in the unity. So how does that happen? It happens when... We love each other with a commitment that is evidently supernatural. It's evident. So what does that commitment look like? So this morning, we're going to be looking at the depth, the depth of that commitment. So if you follow along in your handout, I get the right spot. Um, as, as we start, it's, uh, we're going to talk about comfort-based commitment and the differences. <clears throat> So let's consider the depth of the commitment. So up note, uh, of note, so up front here, really when you bullet it down, this, this is about church membership. And you might be thinking, hey, you know, I'm already a member, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm kind of good. You've already convinced me, so you don't, you don't, I don't want you to check out. So that's not the case. Um, our hope is that by unfolding what membership is and how it's different from other commitments, that we will be refreshed and reminded of the unique sweetness and of deep commitment we have to each other in this church. Uh, To do that, I want to take some time to draw some distinctions uh, between uh, 
the natural commitment of the world, which, which what, that's what we're going to call, um, is comfort-based commitment, comfort-based. And the commitment of church membership, which is a calling, a calling-based commitment. So first of all, comfort-based commitment. Um, commitment is, this is something our world understands very well. Um, whether it be sports, uh, fans are committed to their teams very, very passionately. Uh, I used to be one of those, um, you know, just football, baseball. I mean, you can fill in the blank. People are committed to their jobs. They find their identity in their jobs and they find community and commitment there. Um, maybe uh, vacation destinations or, or their countries, right? Uh, a lot of people are patriots to their country. Um, and people are committed to churches, but why? Why is the important question? Why are people committed to their church? Uh, or, you know, they can, that can vary, why they're committed to the church. So I'd say it's common for churches to get you to commit to them in the same way you commit to anything in this world, um, through a comfort-based commitment. So let me illustrate with uh, you know, a non-church example how you might get committed to, um, and you can fill in the blank, but I'm going to use Apple. I'm an Apple guy. I like Macs. So um, you can do Android. I don't want to step on your toes or Microsoft, but you can fill in the blank here. So at first, maybe Mac is just another computer and an iPad is just another screen, but maybe you end up borrowing your friends um, to check an email and you realize the screen doesn't hang up quite as much. Um, it does on your PC. Uh, so you can hardly call yourself a committed Mac person at this point. Um, but you're intrigued. You know, it's kind of got some interest. But when your PC finally gives out, you do some online shopping and decide to give Mac a try. And even it costs a little bit more, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how it is. And after you get used to it, you find you really like the way things work and how um, intuitive everything is, you know, and, and the list goes on. And, you know, especially how much better you fit in at Starbucks when you're working there. <laughs> so suddenly you realize um, you've been talking a lot about it because your great aunt gives you an iPad for Christmas, maybe, you know, which becomes inseparable part of your brain now. And before long, you're going to Mac conventions, dressing your kids in Apple gear and wondering however you lived without the device that uh, they all sync seamlessly. Now you're hardcore, right? So, and how did that happen? Well, it didn't happen all at once is the point, right? So that's just an illustration. And in fact, you didn't even um, intend on becoming an Apple fanatic at the time, but um, the further you got in, the more attractive it looked until you were pretty deep. So for a lot of Christians, that's what church looks like. And we're gonna talk about that for a sec. A church begins by emphasizing that they have no expectations and they advertise church as a great place to prosper morally, so come on in, educate your kids, find community, feel safe and comfortable and catered to. Um, and then you join a small group, meet a few people who you like. Um, somewhere along the way, you become a member, but membership isn't the point, it's the community, right? And, and, and your comfort. And the point that years in, you become very committed to your church, principally because you liked it and it's kind of easy. See the correlation there? So that's what we're calling a comfort-based commitment. And it works for consumer products and it works for churches. The model in view, whether it's Apple or, or church, it's, uh, the commitment is a process, okay? So that's the point we're trying to make here. Over time, you see church, uh, the church community meeting your needs and so you become more comfortable there. And as you become more comfortable, you commit more deeply. So we smooth the path into our churches and highlight the benefits of getting more involved. And hopefully we can attract more people as consumers and over time see them turn into providers. 
Um, so this is a comfort-based commitment and it's a process. It's marked by its broad, general, non-specific treatment of God's word. And as you can imagine, it can often lead to fostering Christian witness, which is very thin. Okay, so that's, that's what we call comfort-based commitment. Now we're gonna move on to calling-based commitment. But let's not, um, we don't wanna vilify comfort-based commitment. Um, it's, in general, it's natural to drift toward which, what's comfortable, okay? But we should draw a distinction, however, to what we aspire to in our churches, and this is important. So um, calling-based commitment is a distinctive because, here it is, it has depth and richness to it. That comfort-based commitment does not replicate. Let's consider some of the difference. So uh, if we look to 1 John 4, uh, verses 19 and 20, uh, the New Testament describes all Christians as deeply committed to their local church in ways that are meaningful, um, sometimes painful, but quite deliberate. Uh, and in 1 John, 1, uh, 1 John 4, 19 and 20, it says we love, be why? Because he first loved us. <clears throat> And if any, anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, what is he? He's a liar. For he does not love, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So for John, love between believers is a sign of saving faith. And contrast that with comfort-based commitment, and you see that the Bible calls us to love others. Comfort demands that we love ourselves first and prioritize our own feelings and desires. Um, so love for others is, is prioritizing others, guys. And it takes the focus off of self and it, and it prefers others. So that's the difference. So um, point number two is an interesting di diagnostic question to ask yourself is why do you come, All right? Why do you come to church? Why do you keep coming back every Sunday? And what motivates you to give up a portion of your weekend? Comfort-based commitment might point to social or personal and professional reasons. Um, Calling-based commitment has obedience to God and delight in his church. It's obedience to God and delight in his church. And it's one of our primary motivators. So the motive of our community should say something about our faith in Christ. Our commitment to each, to each other should look different from the world. Do you agree? It should. And our interactions should look more like Christ and less like our coworkers and friends and neighbors, right? If we're gonna be lights, we need to be that light. So calling-based commitment commits first and asks questions about mutual benefits later. Calling-based commitment seeks unity in Christ and thrives with diversity in the background. Right, where else do you see people from all different backgrounds, communities, come together in unity because of the salvation we have in Christ? And that's, and that's our core, right? That's the foundation that we stand on together. So the third distinctive is a relationship, relationship. So there are some churches that spend a lot of time thinking hard about reaching as many people as possible, and we know these churches. Um, the classic method of get them in by any means necessary is employed, and it's a really good intention, but the issue is that um, there's no commitment, and there's very few deep relationships that form because of that. Um, there's certainly no culture of community or focus on one-on-one -on -one discipleship either. 
Uh, so everything is kept on the surface, you know, uh, it's because it's more comfortable that way. And they erroneously believe that in the end, um, that's how authentic relationships will flourish, that it'll eventually come. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, that's not the case. So strangely enough, it's with the formality of membership that deep relationships are formed. Uh, not to say uh, that real relationships can't happen apart from church membership, but practically with, with each new member making a covenant with each other through membership, it's clear as day who we are called to love, it is clear who we are able, uh, called to protect, and it is clear who we are to initiate re relationships with in our local church, right? They, they stand out, right? You make a commitment. So a church built around membership is obviously different. It requires commitment up front, up front. So you decide to promise to love a group of Christians in deep and sacrificial ways, even before you actually know them well. It's a little different than a comfort-based commitment, isn't it? So your commitment is not based on feelings or attachment or comfort or belonging, though I hope all those things do come eventually after a called-based commitment. Um, instead, it's community, it's, it's commitment that you make simply because that's part of following Christ. Authentic relationships can be found at churches that are serious about membership. So this idea of calling-based commitment is a, a commitment to each other simply because it's part of being called into God's family. It's called into God's family, so it's a called-based commitment. <clears throat> Committed to other believers through the local church is Christian. So look back to that passage I read from 1 John chapter 4. It says that every person loved by God, saved by God, in turn loves each other, loves other Christians. So that means we need to stop viewing church commitment as a process and start viewing it as an event. Uh, this event is our salvation and Commitment is something that inevitably flows from that salvation. This doesn't mean that we make all of our commitment to the local church up front. There's lots of room for growth, but um, it means that we make a significant commitment up front because that's what it means to be a Christian. So in that sense, you'll find plenty of comfort-based commitment in, in calling-based commitment churches. There's nothing wrong with comfort-based commitment. The problem comes when it becomes our main approach to life in the church, okay? That it can't be the main focus. So if we expect um, to ease our way into the church and see comfort-based commitment kick in over time, um, we'll have a consumerist relationship light not that different from the world community, okay? Instead, we should recognize that God called us to commit in deep and meaningful ways to a local church when he calls us to salvation. If that's our attitude toward church, we'll find a community that is honest about what it means to be Christian and that it serves as a rich catalyst for Christian relationships. Amen? So uh, the next point <clears throat> is commitment that is significant. Commitment that is significant. So what are some basic components of this commitment we've been talking about? Um, what does it look like kind of where the rubber meets the road here, right? How do practically we talk about this? So there's four basic pieces to consider. The first is that commitment is sacrificial. <clears throat> commitment is sacrificial. So if you want to turn to Romans 12, uh, verses 13 through 16, Romans 12, starting in verse 13. 
Starting verse 13, we read, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and, bl- and do not curse them. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So we, we are called to live in harmony with one another, bear one another's burdens, uh, come alongside one another, have joy with one another, weep with one another, right? So this is unity in the church. Uh, we don't want to be haughty or uh, have disdain on, on people that we don't really associate with uh, in the, within the church. That's, that's not what we're called to do. Um, so since our bond of unity is in Christ, when another saint is experiencing a blessing from God, we rejoice with them even if we ourselves are not recipients of that blessing. Um, the world gets jealous, maybe even bitter, but believers, as believers, however, we rejoice when others are blessed. And that's a heart check for us, isn't it? Uh, when we see other people prospering or, or being blessed in certain ways, and, and we, we don't want to be jealous because we're called to be joyous for them because God has chosen to bless them. Amen? So the same is true on the flip side. When fellow believers suffers, we suffer alongside with them as well. We do not rejoice at their calamity or ignore it uh, because that it's easier to do so, which it is. We come alongside them and show them compassion by weeping with them. So our commitment to one another as God's children includes giving uh, our money, our time, and our homes to care for others in our church, simply because they are God's people, right? If God died for the church, we can sacrificially live our lives for the church, Amen. So loving this way isn't for some elite group of Christians either. Uh, it's what it means to be a Christian, right? It's not just for leadership. It's for, the, it's for the church. So the second point is commitment to gather together. Hebrews 10.25 tells us that Christian life is one of not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And that all the more as you see the day drawing near. To be a Christian is to join with other Christians on a regular basis. The author of Hebrews doesn't envision another category of Christian here. Every Christian commits to gather on the Lord's day corporately to worship God with the people that they have covenanted together with. Then, as often as possible throughout the week, they gather for continual fellowship in each other's homes. Okay, so what do we do here? We, we need to encourage one another and hold one another accountable to do this. Uh, if, if we notice some people in our sections that haven't been here for a while, because we, we do tend to be creatures of habit and sit in the same area, so we know who sits around us, um, and we haven't seen someone in a while, what, what should we do? Call them. Follow up. Love them. Right? Come alongside them. What if they're struggling? What if something has happened and, and, and you know, no, nobody's checked on them? I mean, there could be a number of things. What if they're just kind of drifting a little bit, sliding away? Um, that, that encourages unity. Okay? Because if you put yourself in their shoes, what would you like someone to do with you? Probably call you. Right? So it's, that's, that's the best way to do it is kind of putting yourself in their situation. Like, I wish someone would have called me when I was acting up or sinning or, you know, drifting away. And that would have been great if a brother or sister kind of gave me a spiritual slap alongside the head, right, to get me back in church and in fellowship. 
So um, commitment to gather together. The third one is commitment to encourage one another. Working off that same passage um, in Hebrews 10, verse 24 tells us to consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Something that plainly takes place through the gathering of verse 25, right? So an encouragement in the book of Hebrews, it's much more than a momentary handshaking. Good to see you, brother, right? It's much more than that as we head out the door to the rest of our Sunday. Um, as we see in chapter three of Hebrews, encouragement is the antidote to unbelief. Encourage means uh, to strengthen each other's faith. Encouragement means to strengthen each other's faith. As a Christian is committed not only to their own spiritual well-being, but to helping others to fight for the faith. Okay, so encourage one another and come alongside one another. It's not easy. That's why the Lord has given us one another. And the fourth one uh, of this is commitment to guard one another. So Matthew 18, the, the discipline chapter, Jesus says that if a brother sins against me, I am to talk with him about it. If he doesn't repent, I'm to take one or two others with me. And if he still doesn't repent, I'm able, I, I need to tell the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be as a Gentile or a tax collector. In other words, put out of the church. The final barrier to self-deception in this world is the local church. Do you see how God uses that as a grace? Um, no one else can tell me so powerfully that the faith that I profess with my mouth is contradicted by my life. Do we agree? Okay. So no one else can uh, tell me that. And of course, guarding each other against the self-deception of immorality or false doctrine is something we do under wise and loving leadership, loving leadership, gentle. But ultimately, the New Testament gives uh, responsibility for guarding one another to the entire church. So do you, under, do you understand or do you know that church discipline happens on a very regular basis, but it happens amongst y'all? Going to one another in love, saying, hey, I see this in your life. And by grace, that person repents and comes back into proper standing in Christ and his understanding of what the faith is and, and to be a Christian. That's, that's church discipline, and it happens on a very regular basis. It's just the first step. And by God's grace, that's where it stops with each and every one of us, right? But by grace, there go I. Okay, so we have to have that mentality is if someone comes to us with something that they see, that conversation and conviction will grow the unity between those two believers. Because number one, that believer loved them enough to come to them. And number two, God's given the other one grace enough to see that in their own lives and repent. And what happens to that relationship? It's stronger. That's unity. And that happens all the time. And that's a, that's a grace. So God has called you to do all four of these things to love other Christians sacrificially, to gather, them, to gather with them regularly, to encourage them toward faith, and to guard them from sin and self-deception. Making these commitments isn't something we leave to mature Christians. That's what the Bible assumes every Christian does do. So that's what depth of commitment looks like. But if we stop here, we still haven't fully understood the depth of commitment that we're defined in the local church because not only is biblical commitment to a church significant, it it's also needs to be formalized. So uh, the next point in your handout is commitment that is formal. Commitment that is formal. So 
Is Christian commitment in the local church relatively fluid and vague? Or does scripture call us to formalize it? The answer to that question, uh, we can find Paul, if we listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, he's explaining that the church doesn't have responsibility to judge unrepentant sinners in the world, but it does have that responsibility inside the church, doesn't it? It says, starting in verse 12, it says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. Question, right? God judges those who are outside. That's what the verse says. The detail I want you to notice is that the line separating the inside and outside of the church here. On one side, that line of that line are those who call themselves believers and submit to that profession of the judgment of the church. On the other side are those who uh, have made no such commitment. So some people today talk about having a center-defined community instead of a boundary-defined community. And it's important to understand what that is. Instead of observing over um, who is in and who is out of the church, just teach people and encourage people. That's all you need to do. No matter what their spiritual state is, um, to come closer for the, spirit, the good spiritual food that is in church. Um, the problem is that it, it seems to be at odds with how the New Testament describes the church. Uh, we see that the same, uh, the same thing when the Bible talks about church leaders in uh, Hebrews 13, uh, verse 17. So it says we are to submit to our leaders because they will someday stand before God and give an account for us. So if affiliation with a church is, isn't any way formal, Number one, how do these leaders know who they're going to give account for? And two, as church members, how do we decide who to submit to? Pretty good questions, right? Um, whether dealing with church discipline or leadership, it's clear that the Bible, in the Bible that the church commitment has some level of formality to it. Believers know who they're committing to, number one, the church and its leaders understand who they're responsible for, and this is what we call church membership. Using Paul's imagery of the church as a body, and we as its members, uh, now, now what difference does the formality make, right? It matters in two ways, so we're going to talk about those now. So number one is formal commitment serves as affirmation of informal commitment. Formal commitment serves as affirmation of informal commitment. So I find the analogy here um, to marriage helpful. Uh, Tim Keller describes the marital application of this truth from uh, his book, The Meaning of Marriage. And I quote, when the Bible speaks of love, it measures it primarily not by how much you want to receive, but how much you are willing to give yourself to someone how much you are willing to lose for the sake of this person, how much you, uh, of your freedom are you willing to forsake, how much of your precious time, emotion, and resources are you willing to invest for this person. And for that, the marriage vow is not just helpful, but it's, it's even a test of our hearts. In so many cases, when one person says to one another, I love you, but let's not ruin it by getting married, that person really means I love you I don't love you enough to close off all my options. I don't love you enough to give myself to you that thoroughly. Um, to say I don't need a piece of paper to love you is basically to say my love for you has not reached the marriage level, end quote. Um, it's pretty true. 
So, okay, so there are all sorts of, uh, there are some gaps between the correlation of marriage and church membership, but in one way that we, they are similar um, is the interplay of formal and informal commitment, which is what I want to focus on here. If someone says they intend to fulfill all of the Bible's one another commands in context to their church, but refuse to formally commit to doing so through membership, what kind of commitment do they actually intend to make? To use Keller's language here, their love for the church has not yet reached the membership level. Formal commitment clarifies who is actually making the decision to love their church as scripture defines and describes, okay? So the second point is formal commitment makes informal commitment visible. A formal commitment makes informal commitment visible. So membership in a local church advertises that a person has made some very important informal commitments, which helps build relationships faster. Someone could have every intent of loving you uh, the way we see in Romans 12 or Hebrews 10 or 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5, but if they're not a member of your church, you have no way of knowing that. When membership is meaningful, it makes informal commitment visible so that relationships can grow at a faster pace. Does that make sense? Okay. So the last uh, point is practical suggestions. Practical suggestions. So uh, number one, join a church, right? Uh, some of us or some of our friends are still weighing out uh, whether membership is actually that important. Um, in those conversations, I think it's helpful to come back to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, if, we, if we know of people either in this church or other churches, you know, we don't have just to focus here with the people that we know, but we do know people that do go to the other churches. And if they're not members, um, it helps to remind them. And it, it, to, to follow Jesus is to love others who follow Jesus as well. Um, that's what inevitably happens when we're forgiven for our sin. And it's not just a general disposition of love, uh, but a specific commitment to love a specific group of Christians, which is what? Church. It's a local group of, of believers that gather together, which is called the church. Okay, secondly, um, invest in relationships after you join a church. Then there are those of us who join, but aside from showing up every Sunday for service, um, joining the church doesn't really change our lives, which is a problem. Um, so we need to invest in relationships. So as we've seen already in this class relating to a church in a biblical way means confessing sin so that others can help us fight for faith. It means confessing struggles so others can help us in practical ways, right? It's, it's that what we talked about just a second ago in um, that level of uh, church discipline on, on the one-to-one -one basis. Uh, and that helps us grow and that, and that forms relationships inevitably naturally. Um, it means asking hard and sometimes awkward questions, doesn't it? But it's for the care of our brothers and sisters. It's care for the body. And it means prayer as an integral part of every relationship as well. Okay, so what does it look like when this doesn't happen? Um, we're going to do a little compare and contrasting here. Um, and, and I'm going to give you four examples if you can fit them in that little bullet. In number two, investing in relationships. Um, the, the casual member is an example. The casual, they are members, but it's casual member um, who attends regularly but doesn't do much beyond that. Um, his friends who know him best are not in the church. 
Okay, so um, instead of casual, we're called to be committed. Committed. Um, the, uh, the fortress member or the walled member who builds up walls, um, it's the, that's the one who seems involved, at least in, at least in terms of serving others, but um, out of a, maybe a conceit that they are never in need themselves, um, they never let really people in to help them. Um, it's, it's the people who always have their guard up. Right, not wanting to let people in. Um, but instead of uh, being walled, uh, we're, we're called to be vulnerable to one another. Vulnerable. Um, the next one is static, a static member that starts out with good fr- uh, friendships at the church, but as months turn into years and years into decades, those relationships, they never expand. Um, so we don't want to be call, uh, known as the frozen chosen right? Um, to have frozen, uh, uh, be a part of a community that's frozen, uh, it, it, it turns into no community if we are static members. So we are called to be active, active members, serving one another um, and serving the church. And lastly, uh, the consumer member, the consumer member, um, they have relationships, but it's clear from a worldly perspective why each relationship would be important to them. Okay, so you're picking and choosing you're like, hey, this would benefit me to be a part of this relationship or to know that person. Um, but they haven't aspired, as I talked about earlier, to love others in ways that is strange in, uh, to the world, um, simply because they've been loved by Christ, right? We're, uh, we're called to be invested, invested, not consumer-based members, um, but investing in others. Um, it doesn't matter who the person is. It's another believer in Christ, They've been bought with the same blood as you have, right? There's unity there. There's a lot. And then lastly, uh, commitment to love the entire body, right? Commitment to love the whole church. I think there's real danger for us in an age that is defined by consumer, and yet it's obsessed with community. Uh, We might find ourselves with real and satisfying community in the subculture of the church, but never step out to engage the broader church. That doesn't mean that we need to have deep relationships with every single person that's here and know them um, better than anybody else. Uh, It's very hard and and almost impossible to do that. Um, But here at Pacific Hope, we do want to grow in our relationships and, and try to know the entire body. We should find that our relationships aren't confined to one particular small group um, or personality type or, or ethnic background or profession, okay? So if we read James 2, we just went through that not too long ago uh, with, with, you know, with the church. What does it James 2 call us to do is to not show favoritism. Um, so if you are wondering what that says, just read chapter 2 and... Um, it's a, it's a great conviction, right, to, to kind of step out of your comfort zone and talk to someone that maybe has gone here for quite some time and um, you don't know too much about them. Uh, but if we all take initiative to include our friendships, um, in our friendships, some who are very different than us, what we'll find out is that instead of a church composed of subcultures and, and cliques, we'll have a church where a network of relationships overlap and stretch to cover the entire church. Okay, that's a healthy church. That's a unified church. Um, and, and here's the main point of these practical suggestions is what one really practical difference between a calling-based community and a comfort-based 
community is that the calling-based community stretches us to form relationships that are not comfortable for our good. And why? For the glory of God. That's why we're here, to glorify God. And if he calls us to do these things in Scripture, a way that we can know his will and glorify him is by obeying his word. So in conclusion, if you look at how the Old Testament describes the local church, this is one pillar that holds up biblical community. It's a depth of commitment, a depth of commitment. Our culture is telling us to commit only so long as what? We feel comfortable. Um, that's, that's not what scripture tells us. Just like the marriage example where commitment, uh, you know, what the world has done and, and defined marriage for us, uh, where commitment used to precede intimacy, um, the world has pulled all of the perceived benefits ahead of commitment, hasn't it? Well, just like that skewed version of marriage, comfort-based commitment in the church doesn't work very well. The same thing happens. Um, it may draw a crowd quickly, but it doesn't produce much depth. And without depth, it fails to be the supernatural, um, attractive beacon of light in a dark world. Even though that uh, commitment light model seems best for reaching the world for Christ, in the long haul, uh, it pales in comparison to a truly supernatural community um, and, and the called unity that Christ calls us to have. So we need to aspire to a calling-based commitment where we choose to commit to love all the unfamiliar people in the new church, in a new church simply because we haven't, or because we've been called by God to salvation. We've been called by God to salvation, so we've been also called to love his people. And called by uh, God to love as well. Love one another, love him, sacrifice. Um, that's why the health, wealth, prosperity gospel doesn't, doesn't work. It's that this is that um, consumer comfort-based uh, commitment that it calls you to do. Um, it's very, very shallow. Um, and once you look into it a little bit, it, it falls apart. Um, but if anybody has told you that the Christian life is easy, um, they've lied to you. Uh, it's, it, all your problems will not go away. Uh, your sin has been forgiven, um, and it will go away in glory when we meet our Lord and Savior. Um, but as we here, are here on earth, now we know what sin is. We have conviction of sin. We struggle with one another in sin, but we always, what, continually point each other to Christ in a God-honoring way with love and grace and mercy and truth. And you cannot get that with a comfort-based community, right? We're called out to call each other out, right? And be a part of a church that's healthy and unified in that. Um, and so with that grounding of commitment, relationships do flourish, okay? So that's, that's it for this morning. Um, we're almost right on time, right? 45, is that... This is my first time, guys. <laughs> um, any questions before, if we, we have a couple moments? Yes, Mrs. Adrian. So the question was, um, on secondary issues uh, like um, eschatology, um, do we still encourage people to become members? And the answer is yes, if, as long as they agree not to cause division, because um, there is there is unity. Um, I mean, we have great examples of great men of faith who 
differ on um, issues like that, like MacArthur and Sproul. Um, they were best of friends. Uh, one believes in infant baptism, one doesn't. One believes in uh, dispensationalism, one believes in all-mill. So, um, but they were best of friends. Um, that, that stuff should not divide because the core things um, that we know and love and what scripture is clear about is Christ and him crucified and the foundation we have in salvation in him, okay? Um, so hopefully that helps. Um, all right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you in the truths that we find in it. I pray again that we don't just listen uh, and have it go through our minds that I've read this before, I know this, I've heard it, um, Lord, but I pray that it dwells and resonates within our hearts and minds, that the, the word forms and shapes who we are as Christians and who we are towards one another. Lord, I pray that as we learn and grow in, in what unity is um, in church membership and the things to come, Lord, that we step out of our comfort zones, that we um, talk to people that we do not know uh, so we can better pray for them, so we can better know them. Um, what, what a great great opportunity that is. Lord, help us to see opportunities to talk to people that we don't know or put people on our hearts that we know that haven't been here and uh, call this church their home that we can reach out to them in love and grace, uh, but yet in truth and um, being, being meek and gentle, um, but, but firm in, in what, the, what the word says. Uh, we thank you for this group that's here, and I thank you for the kids that are being taught right now as well. Um, help them grow in their faith, Lord, and if they are not saved, please uh, come down and have your Holy Spirit work, do a great work in their hearts, uh, a miracle of salvation in each and every one of them, Lord. We pray that for, for those kids and for the people that sit in these pews as well. I pray for the sermon that's coming up, that uh, the hearts and minds of your people will be nourished and convicted. And uh, if people are sitting here that are not saved, that, that they have the conviction of the Spirit and uh, come to a saving faith, Lord. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. All right, y'all.